The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am joined, actually, I'm joined by my dog, Molly. My uh, dog, Molly, my sweet golden retriever, the greatest dog who has ever set all four of her paws on this earth, is here with me. I I tried to send her out of the studio to record, but she just wanted to hang out with me so much that she is lying at my feet as we speak. If you go to my Twitter account, at Ryan K-A-I-R, you can see a picture of her just sitting under the studio table where we record the show. She didn't want to move. She's still not moving. And so I'm going to experiment with just letting her hang out in the studio during the show. If she makes noise, we'll have to kick her out. But right now, she seems pretty chill just sitting next to daddy's feet. So... Me and Molly here on the Break the Business podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show uh, on our various platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We very much hope that you do those five-star ratings. Very, very much help. Reach out to the Break the Business podcast at breakthebusiness at gmail.com, where you can send us show questions. If there's a question you want us to answer in the show about the music industry, email me. Or if you just want to say hi, or if there's a topic you want us to talk about, either music-related or pop culture-related, Get in touch with us. Break the business at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, or you can like the podcast at Facebook.com slash break the business. And uh, yeah, we got an audiobook as well. Uh, the audiobook, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's a it's always been available on paperback, and it's always been available on ebook, but now it's an audiobook. And uh, if you like listening to this voice and you want to listen to this voice talk to you about how to achieve success in your own terms on in the music industry in 15 chapters, get go check that book out at Amazon. I'm really proud of how it came out. It's great quality, sounds good, and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you again. You can find all those books at amazon.com. Just type in break the business and it will send you right there. Our guest this week I'm so excited to talk to this guy. He is a friend of the show. He's very knowledgeable. Bobby Ausinski. He's a musician, a producer, an author, blogger, podcaster. He's so prolific. He may, if I can be perfectly candid, I'm a little jealous of the guy because he has a work ethic that I want so badly. And he, he puts out so much material. I've written one book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available at Amazon.com. And I'm so proud of that book. But that book was really hard to write. It took a lot of time and energy. And when it was over, I, I didn't want to touch a book for six months. It was just, I didn't want to read books. I, I, I didn't even like the word book. It was so exhausting. I'm proud of this book, but it was a lot of work. And that was just one book. Bobby Ausinski has written dozens of books on all sorts of music industry subjects. Whether you want to learn more about the music business, whether you want to learn more about playing music or recording music or producing music or playing almost any instrument, Bobby Ausinski's got you covered. He's so awesome. But we're going to talk to him this week about one of the many, many big stories that's popped up in the music industry this week. And there's been so many. But perhaps the one that is the story that has the biggest implications for indie artists are these rumors of a potential sale of TuneCore to Sony. Now, here's the situation. Back on July 14th, the Nikkei Asian Review, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but go with me, uh, you know, Japanese, Nikkei, the Nikkei Asian Review, a very reputable news source, you know, super reputable. This isn't some fly-by-night operation. This is a very significant business publication has reported that Sony, yes, the Sony, is going was going to buy a French company called Believe Digital, which owns, among other things, the indie music distribution service TuneCore. This is big news for a bunch of reasons. TuneCore is a critical player, as you all know, in the indie music movement. Many of you out there listening probably use TuneCore for your music distribution. I'd say about... You know, some of you use CD Baby, some of you use DistroKid, but many of you use TuneCore. It's one of the big ones. And what TuneCore does, if you're not in tune with this kind of stuff, but um, psh, wait. 
There you go. Uh, lame pun alert. Okay. What TuneCore does is they're a music distribution service. So if you've recorded music and you want to get that music in iTunes, if you want to get that music in Spotify, Pandora, uh, all the places, all the digital platforms where people can access your music on, on, uh, out in cyberspace, one of the easiest ways to do it is to set yourself up with one of these indie distribution services, and TuneCore is one of them. And TuneCore is pretty cool. I, I'm a big fan of these guys because one of the things that we talk about in the Break the Business book is to make sure that you get your music distributed in such a way that you're the boss, that you keep control of your intellectual property, and that you keep most of the dollars that comes in. And TuneCore, at least on the music distribution side, the recording distribution side, is totally in tune with that idea. God, I did it again. There it is, another pun. They're totally with us on this idea. So you, you, anybody can use TuneCore. You don't need to, you know, it's not like a, you know, a, a big-time distribution deal where, you know, they're going to be selective about who they go with. Anybody can sign up with TuneCore. I, I can't carry a tune. Oh, man, what's wrong with me today? And even I can get a TuneCore account. Boy, this is just a silly, silly start to this show. And... And the way it works is once you set up the TuneCore account and once you pay to, you know, it's like $100 or $25 or whatever it is to put your, you know, to get yourself set up with the TuneCore service, TuneCore does not take a piece of every sale it makes. It doesn't take a commission. You keep everything. So you control your music, you get to own your music, and you keep all the money that comes in after you pay TuneCore its initial fee and and this is my favorite part about TuneCore and all of these indie music distribution services like CD Baby and DistroKid, is if you want to pull your music off of TuneCore, if you don't want TuneCore to distribute you, you can end the relationship like that without any, without without any significant legal stuff. You know, there's no lawsuits that happen. It's your music. You can take it off. You can put it on whenever you want. And that's the way it should be in this business. In the new music industry, you should control your music. You are the boss of your music. That's how it has to be. And so I like TuneCore, and I like the way it is. But here's the question. How might this change? How might the way TuneCore works change if it's bought out by Sony, a conglomerate that owns Sony Music, a major record label and distributor? And Sony ATV, a major publishing company. These are these are companies, these Sony companies use the old music industry model. Unlike TuneCore, where you get to own your music, if you're set up with Sony music, they own your music. And unlike TuneCore, where TuneCore has you keeping most of the money you earn, Sony keeps most of the money for themselves. And so, if they're going to... Con- you know, and so... What does it mean if Sony owns TuneCore? Are they going to alter TuneCore's model, which up until now is a model that's been very favorable to artists? Is this a dangerous set of circumstances? Or, or to be fair, is this a cause for optimism? Would a Sony-owned TuneCore benefit from Sony's clout in the music industry? Would this make TuneCore ultimately a stronger company for indie artists? And hey, I want to be optimistic, but I mean, I'm skeptical. Now, I've always been skeptical of the major labels. My Break the Business book, this Break the Business podcast, is built on a foundation of record label skepticism because I've seen that model hurt so many artists that I care about. And Sony's model is not a model that I endorse for indie artists in the new music business. So they might, you know, them taking control of a very prominent indie music distribution service worries me a little bit. And now... We should preface all this by saying that this is all just a possibility because at this point, nobody is 100% sure what's going on with this Sony Believe Digital TuneCore deal. Because after the original article came out on July 14th in the Nikkei Asian Review and outlets like Variety reported on it as well about this sale being a done deal, um, other news sources have come out later and said that this isn't true and Believe Digital has come out and they've denied the story. So what is it? What's the truth? Is this deal happening? Is it going to happen? Is it is it completely fake news? Honestly, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, as usually is the case when you hear two sides of the story in media. It might not be a done deal yet, but I can't imagine it's completely fake news, as the players would have, as, as some of the players would have us believe. This kind of stuff, 
these reports don't just happen out of thin air. They're, so I think there could, this, could, this could happen if it hasn't happened already. Either way, you as an indie artist need to continue following this story. We need to get more thoughts from people who know this business. And that's why we're going to have Bobby Osinski talk to us in the next segment. He's been in this business a long time. He is knowledgeable, and he's written about this very story. And most importantly, our man Bobby is a friend of the indie artist. He is an ally. He is one of us in this movement. And we're going to chat with him in the next segment. But before we do, let's talk about another story that is in the news that could also be potentially interesting for indie artists. Let us talk about Spotify. Yes, that's right, folks. For the second week in a row, Spotify is with us in the news again, and it is legal news, so we get to play our favorite clip. Why did you touch me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Thank you, Mr. Asante. Last week, we were talking about Spotify and its alleged fake artist scandal. Do you remember that from last week? It's been uh, upsetting a lot of indie artists because if this fake artist scandal is true, if it is indeed true that Spotify is creating fake artists and are having those fake artists do plays on Spotify that are siphoning royalties away from you, the artist, is Spotify, yeah, that's a big deal. And you as an artist would have every right to be pissed. But check out last week's episode to find out more about that. Uh, We talked about that at length last week. But the crazy train keeps on chugging with Spotify. The bad news is just continuing with this company because this past week, Spotify has been sued for, brace yourself, $345 million. Woo! Bob Gaudio and Blue Water Music Services are taking the streaming service to court for allegedly failing to to pay mechanical royalties when their songs were and when their songs and the songs of other artists were streamed on Spotify. So 345 million, that's a lot of money. This is a lot to unpack. Let me explain the situation. So when Spotify streams a song on its service, when they play any song, when they play your song, they have to pay different folks to be able to use that song. There's a lot of different folks that have to be paid. And sometimes it's the same person, but they have to be paid for different reasons. So let's say you have a recording on Spotify. When that song is streamed, they have to, one, pay the person who owns the recording, and God, I hope that is you. Hopefully that's you if you have been adhering to the stuff that we talk about in the Break the Business podcast and in the Break the Business book. Hopefully you are the person that owns your recordings and not some record company. But they do have to pay that person. But that's not the only person Spotify has to pay. They also have to pay the folks who own the original song from which the recording is derived. And in a case when it's you who wrote the song and, you know, you wrote your song and then you recorded that song, you're that you're you get paid again as a songwriter. Um, But either way, whoever owns the actual song from which the recording is derived also gets paid. There's two different copyrights in a recording. So let's uh, let's 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 take it back to the beginning. Uh, You know, let's get to music copyright law 101. If in case uh, this might be a refresher for some of you, but this is important in every piece of music you hear on the radio. There are, or on Spotify for that matter, there are two separate copyrights in play. You have the sound recording copyright, which is the actual recording that you're hearing, and that's its own copyright. And then you have the musical composition copyright, which is the original song that was then recorded. Now, when Spotify is paying, so let's 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 put aside the Recording for a second, and let's just focus on the musical composition issue, the actual written song. When a song is played on Spotify, and Spotify has to compensate the owners of the musical composition copyright, they actually have to make two different payments. You have the performance royalty, which is basically Spotify has to pay the song's copyright holder for permission to publicly perform the song on the site. That's one of the songwriter royalties that has to be paid. But then there's a second royalty that has to be paid, what is known as the mechanical royalty. And that involves Spotify paying the song's copyright holder again for permission to convert the song into streaming and play it on the Spotify service. So those are the two songwriter royalties that matter. So what's this lawsuit about? Well, basically the plaintiffs, the plaintiffs, how about just the plaintiffs in this case, are alleging that Spotify never paid them their mechanical royalties for streams of the songs that they wrote and the songs that other people wrote on Spotify. So how can this happen? How can Spotify just not pay 
the mechanical royalties they're supposed to pay. How can that happen? Presumably Spotify is a ethical company that should pay people the royalties they're supposed to pay them. So how could this happen? Well, what the lawsuit alleges is that Spotify pays its mechanical royalties using a service called the Harry Fox Agency. Now, Harry Fox represents millions of songs and facilitates the payments of mechanical royalties for those songs. In fact, you as a songwriter likely have some of your songs on Harry Fox. You might have your songs on Harry Fox and not even know it. But what this lawsuit is claiming is that Spotify is not paying the mechanical royalties for artists who are not registered with the Harry Fox agency. That basically, if Spotify is playing a song and they can't find the songwriters on the Harry Fox database, then Spotify just goes, oh, well, we can't find you, so we're not going to pay you. One less person we have to pay. And of course, that's not how it works. Registration on Harry Fox is not a prerequisite to getting the mechanical royalties that you might be entitled to. Now, granted, it makes things a lot easier for you to get paid. If you actually have any desire to get paid for your mechanical royalties, you should be set up on Harry Fox Agency because it makes getting these payments a lot easier, not only for you, but for the person who's trying to pay you. But, you know, you still have to get paid either way. But basically, what the lawsuit's alleging is that Spotify is just throwing up their hands and saying, oh, if you're not on Harry Fox, you're not going to pay you. And that's uh, could be a potentially big problem for Spotify because this lawsuit couldn't come at a worse time. For them, Spotify is trying to go public and needless to say, having a nine figure lawsuit on your back is not a great way to make you appetizing to investors. But frankly, I don't give a crap about Spotify's IPO and whether they succeed or they fail is not my concern. I'm more concerned for you as an indie artist. And so the lesson I would draw from this for you as an indie artist is this. If you do have your music on Spotify, which many of you probably do. Make sure you're getting every dime you deserve from Spotify, which means if you have songs that are on these services, Spotify, Pandora, whatever, make sure your music is in the Harry Fox database. Don't make it hard for Spotify to get you the mechanical royalties you deserve. Just make things easy. Spotify or uh, Harry Fox is great at handling your mechanical licenses and uh, it's a great way to get paid. And so I'll say this, if you use a publishing administrator like TuneCore has a publishing administration arm or SongTrust, which is one that I really recommend, the good news is they already take care of the Harry Fox registration for you. You should already be set up with Harry Fox if you use one of these services. But either way, make sure you get this done. Go get your money, folks. All right, the super knowledgeable Bobby Osinski is up next to talk to us more about the potential sale of TuneCore to Sony here on the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. We are happy to have back on one of our friends of the show, Bobby Osinski. He is a celebrated musician, producer, and author based out of Los Angeles, California. He has written dozens of books on the music industry, including my personal favorite, Music 4.1, a survival guide for making music in the internet age. He also blogs on his The Big Picture and Music 3.0 sites and podcasts on the Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle program. He's here to talk to us about recent rumors of Sony Music purchasing TuneCore and what that might mean for indie artists. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Osinski is on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Bobby, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for being, thanks for asking me to be here. Oh, thank you for obliging. We are happy to have you on because earlier this week you were talking on your Music 3.0 blog about reports from multiple outlets, including Variety saying that Sony Music was trying to, or possibly already did, or who knows, maybe they're not, buying the company that owns the music distribution service, TuneCore. Can you run us through what's been reported over the past week? Well, TuneCore is owned by a French company called Believe Distribution. And they bought, they bought them, I think, in 2015. 
and then poured, and, and I'm talking about Believe Distribution, poured some money into TuneCore, I think $30 million at that point. And it looked like everything was profitable. They announced it was profitable, and they said they were never going to sell. And all of a sudden, there were rumors in the last week that, guess what? Believe Digital was bought by Sony Music for somewhere between 355 and $444 million. So this led to a lot of questions about a major label owning a big aggregator like that. But that being said, so the rumors came out that this happened from a few reliable, uh, few reliable um, uh, spots. And then all of a sudden, we get this recant that it didn't happen the following day. Believe Digital saying, no, 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 that's not happening. We're raising money so we could actually do some more investments, but we're not selling. So now the question is, what really happened? Was there a deal in place? And did it actually get stalled at the last minute? Or is this a false report? Or was this just something that was maybe touched upon and never got serious. We don't know. Yeah, unless you know something I don't. Uh, no, I was I was hoping you did. And we'll we'll get into the mechanics of where where you think the deal is. But um, I'd love to engage in some hypotheticals here because I think this is the more interesting and enriching conversational area. Let's assume that this does happen. That a major record label is going to buy a indie music distribution service that many listeners on our show use to distribute their music, and not to mention a lot of our artists also use TuneCore for music publishing administration. Do you think, in your view, that this sale will be a good thing or a bad thing for indie artists? Do you think that TuneCore would benefit from Sony's clout, or will Sony's model make TuneCore's model less flexible and favorable for artists? What are your instincts telling you? I think I'd be cautious and the reason being, Sony, if Sony's doing this, I can't think of a good reason why they're doing it in order to help indie artists. <laughs> I can see why they do it to help their artists. So it, it makes you think that, okay, TuneCore is one of the main aggregators. In other words, you give your music to TuneCore and they get it on Spotify and they get it on Apple Music and they get it on Tidal and, and everywhere else you can think of. And... As a result, they have pretty good relationships with those streaming services. So you wonder if Sony Music would would actually use those additional relationships to push their signed artists. And as a result, what would end up happening is, you know, indie artists would be one step further down the ladder than they were previously. So I mean, that's one thing. And the other thing would be uh, would be publishing. So if you're signed to TuneCore Publishing, does that mean that now that's part of Sony ATV Publishing and you're part of, of, of Sony ATV? That might be a good thing. So, I mean, you can look at it a couple of different ways. Yeah, depending on uh, what, what happens to your copyrights, I suppose. Um, it, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot to unpack. And I think with TuneCore, it makes me a l you know, more concerned than with any other service because if you were sort of create a spectrum of these indie distribution services and which ones are more or less flexible, TuneCore is particularly flexible. You're talking about an organization that doesn't charge even a commission on every copy they sell. You know, you pay your, your fee to put it out there and then that's the last dollar TuneCore takes from you. And the idea that a major record label, which is you know going to be among the lesser flexible of models, is getting involved with TuneCore. It, it 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 brings out some nerves for sure. And here's my general feeling on this because when I saw the news and when I saw your blog article, my first thought was I went right back to all of the record label negotiations I've done with my clients, where I'll try to get them a better deal, I'll try to get them ownership of their masters or something like that, and and inevitably the labels come back to me and say that that model doesn't work. They can't make the numbers work with that model. It just can't happen. And now you see Sony essentially trying to buy that model. So is it hypocritical or are they just trying to snuff out that model? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you one of the things, and just to get off the subject, but I'll come back to what you just asked. Sure. One of the things that does worry me a bit is TuneCore Publishing and I've not experienced this personally, but I know artists that have told me this, where they didn't realize they were 
part of TuneCore Publishing. They, and I don't know what the paperwork involved in all this is, but they would think that they're using TuneCore as their aggregator, an aggregator only, and all of a sudden they find out they're signed to TuneCore Publishing. And then they try to get off and they find that they can't. They ha they're on for at least a year and then kind of have to jump through hoops in order to get out of the deal at the end of that year. So it makes me wonder then, how does that work if it's part of Sony Music? Mm. <laughs> does that get yeah. worse? Does that get better? <laughs> what ends up happening? I, you know, because already it's something that if it catches you by surprise and suddenly you're part of something you're not, you didn't expect to be. Well, and, and again, if you look at it, you, you just mentioned that TuneCore isn't taking any money, but if they're making it off your publishing, yes, they are. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair. And I, I will say in my experience that the publishing administration arm is a little more constraining than the music distribution side. I know a lot of, I've had some clients that have complained that, you know, the TuneCore publishing administration deal, for example, can kind of eat up your ability to get sync opportunities from third parties. And that's always yep. been something that's kind of a you know red flag for them, as well it should be. Well, let's face it. That's what a lot of musicians are kind of basing their income streams on, or their, their major income stream. They're thinking, oh, if only I can get you know some syncs. <laughs> it's getting tougher and tougher because the market is getting you know bigger for that. Well, the 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 actual market is small, but the number of people that are trying to penetrate it are, is large and getting larger all the time. So therein lies the problem. And if you're tied up with a publishing company that isn't pushing sinks at all or pushing your material in particular, well, it's not a good situation, I would think. If I were, if I were a musician, if I were an artist, it would upset me personally. Sure. Um, now let's talk about the, let's go back to the transaction and, you know, see kind of how you're feeling about where the status of it is. Cause you're a connected guy. You're, you're a lot more connected than I have. And you've been in this industry longer than I have. You've been around the block and you've seen deals get done and what they can look like when they're getting done. So when believe digital, which is the owner of TuneCore, as you said, comes out and says that they're not being sold to Sony and they don't know where this is coming from, that it's fake news, essentially, do you believe them? Do you do you really think that's what's happening, or do you think that they're still maybe working on a deal and we might hear something else in the coming days? It feels like a negotiating tactic to me. No. To be honest no. with you. That 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 yes, that, that I, I I get that I get that feeling. And you know, we talked about this last week sort of with SoundCloud, when Sound you know, SoundCloud is allegedly having some financial troubles, and the CEO came out and said, Everything's fine, your music is safe. And what I sort of opined on that show is that's usually what you hear right before everything goes to hell. And so I, I don't know how much you can trust public statements and press releases from the heads of these organizations. So it, yeah, it could be, it could very well be that we're going to find out in the next few days that this public statement is essentially just, as you said, a negotiating tactic and that the real story is completely different. Now consider this, perhaps Sony music was really close to a deal and then one of the other majors got whiff of it and decided, hmm, maybe that's not a bad idea. Oh, bidding war. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know this for a fact at all. I'm, I'm making huge assumptions here. But, you know, there's a possibility. Right. What do you think? Oh, no, I do. And the fact that because when you have an outlet like Variety, for example, I mean, this isn't just these aren't just some fly by night blogs. These are legitimate journal entertainment journalism outlets that were reporting this not as this deal is about to happen but that this deal has happened and i just feel like you can't go from that to the organization saying we have no idea what anybody's talking about we're just going out and finding you know our own acquisition opportunities you know that's just such an incongruence there's no way that both of those things can be true and i feel like what's going on with believe has to be something that's a different state of affairs well this was originated the, the first inkling of this came from Asian Review, which looks at the Japanese stock market. That's what they do. They, they just analyze the stock market. So this is where the initial report came from. That's like the Wall Street Journal, oh. you know, talking about, or, or, or Forbes or something like that, talking about the, the stock market. It's pretty much good information that they're getting. 
and they have lots of details. I'm, I'm looking at this right now. They have lots of really good details on this. So you have to think that it was at least somewhere in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know what else to say. It just yeah. seems like there, there's something going on here. There's more, there's more uh, fire to the smoke yeah. than perhaps we're seeing. Well, this is something that indie artists need to continue to follow, particularly if you're an artist who's with TuneCore, because the implications of this could be extremely positive, could be extremely negative, but I'm guessing it's not just going to be neutral and it could have a significant effect on the industry as a whole. You can check out uh, Bobby's website, Bobby Ausinski, that's O-W-S-I-N-S-K-I dot com, where you can check out all of his fabulous work, his blogs, his books, his podcasts. It's all terrific. Bobby, where else can people find you on the internet? <laughs> yeah, social just media. Just do a search. Yeah. <laughs> just do, do a, a search. search for Bobby Ausinski. You'll find a lot. Um, yes, indeed. My my podcast, my Inner Circle podcast, BobbyOInnerCircle.com, uh, Music3.0.com, um, BobbyOsinskiBlog.com for my production blog, music industry blog, and, and also on Forbes. Uh, um, I write a kind of a big picture overview of the new music business on Forbes. Love it. As well. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh doing some great just business prognosticating with you. I feel like I'm on one of these cable news shows just doing reckless speculation. It's been good fun. But before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, one of the biggest ones that I can think of is you have to look at the music business in different terms these days. And this is just something that the more I've been thinking about this, the more it seems to be overlooked. Back in the day, we used to look at a million as something that was very successful. And a million right now is hardly even in the ballgame. A million views, a million streams doesn't mean much. At 10 million, you kind of get the industry's eye a little bit. But it takes 50 million until we actually really can qualify something as a, a minor hit and a hundred million and more end up when we have what we'd call a hit. So whatever it is, whatever number you're looking at, you kind of have to multiply it by at least a hundred. That's the new music business. The, the scale is completely different. So once you begin to move that scale from where it used to be, to where it is today, then you can look at it and feel a little better or maybe a little worse, depending if you don't have you know a whole lot of, of streams or a whole lot of views, but you can look at it with the more realistic viewpoint. Right on. And, and it seems like those numbers are just constantly changing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, 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 in a few years, who knows where, what it's going to look like and how much higher it could get. Bobby, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for letting me being a talking head with you, Ryan. I know. This was, oh gosh, it was you know, cable news stuff. It was great. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Bobby Osinski for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about his fantastic blogs and podcasts and his many, 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 many books by visiting www.bobbyosinski.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-O-W-S-I-N-S-K-I.com. Uh, let me give you all a quick Molly update. My sweet golden retriever Molly has sat here patiently under the podcast desk for two segments now has not made any noise, has not had to, you know, relieve herself anywhere. She's been perfectly calm and awesome and is actually warming my feet right now. Her beautiful golden retriever fur is keeping my feet warm while I record this week's episode. Molly is the best dog. I know you might think that your dog is the best dog, that, you know, you're like, no, Ryan, you're wrong. My dog is the best dog. Well, you know what? You're wrong because Molly's the best dog, because she's keeping my feet warm while I talk to you about music industry stuff. And now let's talk some pop culture stuff. We got a few fun pop culture things to talk about. So last week, last week's episode, we talked about Jodie Whittaker. 
becoming the first female doctor on Doctor Who. The BBC announced this after decades of the doctor always regenerating into a male. Uh, now we're going to have our first lady doctor. And everything about this suggests that this is going to be really, really good. Jodie Whittaker is supposed to be a fantastic actress. She's been on other BBC productions where people have given her rave reviews. And so I'm optimistic. And I also, I think it was a couple weeks ago on this podcast, we had Verity White on the show, who is this amazing rock artist. And she was such a treat to have on the show. And we talked a little bit of pop culture and British television with her. We talked about Doctor Who and we talked about um, Black Mirror and a bunch of these other shows that she likes. And I told her that in subsequent episodes, we'd love to have her as a British TV correspondent. That if she had any thoughts of anything going on in the world of British television, that delightful, delightful island of pop culture magnificence, that she would share her insights with us. And it just so happens that Verity has kept up her end of the deal and that she uh, recorded a little piece for us where she shared her feelings about Jodie Whittaker being cast as the next Doctor on Doctor Who. And so we're going to play that right now. Take it away, Verity. Hi, guys. Friend of the show, Verity White here, calling in from rainy and grey UK. Uh, just wanted to give you a little bit of an update because we had some very exciting news last week. Um, we actually got our very first female Doctor Who. Now, this has been causing some ridiculous controversy um, for all of the Daily Mail readers um, in the UK saying that they're going to stop watching Doctor Who because Doctor Who shouldn't be a woman. Now, this is just ridiculous. Doctor Who is an alien. I mean, for Christ's sakes, seriously. These people need to get it together. It's all going to be about the writing. Now, the thing that worries me is not that Jodie Whittaker isn't fabulously cast because she is a really fantastic actress with a great string of success behind her. And actually, I think she could bring a really interesting perspective to the Doctor. Now, there's also been a lot of controversy, even from one of the old Doctor Who's themselves, saying that men have lost a role model, that young boys have lost a role model. But hang on a minute. What about all of the young girls that need a role model? A role model that isn't a stupid, pathetic bimbo, but a role model who's intelligent and who's out there doing interesting and exciting things. I can't wait to see lots of little girls being inspired by this and being inspired to be something other than just what you have to look like. So, yeah, it's really exciting. I think it's absolutely fantastic casting. I think it's going to be really, really cool. I can't wait to see what they do. I super hope that they don't let us down. But, yes, that is my little mini report on the casting of Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who. Um, hopefully, I will chat to you all very soon. Bye. Thank you, Verity White, for sharing your insight with us. Very thoughtful. You are a truly terrific pop culture mind. And... Um, you are an expert on all things British television. Um, I hope we can have her lending her insight with us more often because she's super knowledgeable about this stuff. And I adore that accent. I could listen to her read the phone book. Just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful folks. Show some love to Verity White for taking the time to lend us her thoughts on Jodie Whittaker's casting. She has a Kickstarter going on right now for her new album, Breaking Out. It only has 13 days left, and she's only a couple hundred dollars away from her funding goal. And how cool would it be if our humble podcast community could help her get over the top? As great as she is at being a font of knowledge when it comes to all things British pop culture, she's even better as an artist. And it would be a fantastic project for you to be a backer for. Again, that album is breaking out. She's only a couple hundred dollars away from her Kickstarter goal, people. Let's help Verity White out. All right, what, what else is going on in pop culture? Oh, God, yes. Comic-Con, man. Freaking Comic-Con. I'm so jealous I'm not there. Every year it happens, I'm always going to say, I always say next year is the year that I'm going to find a way to get to Comic-Con. I love these cons, and God, you know, if you're under 30 listeners, my advice to you, don't get old. Don't get old. Because when I was younger, I could go to cons and do all this fun pop culture crap, and then you get a mortgage, and, you know, life sets in, and believe me, all that adulting stuff is great too but oh boy do i miss just going to a con and having a good time so enjoy your youth while you have it that's all i'm saying but either way though i am not at comic-con i'm there in spirit enjoying all the great headlines that are coming out of there including all the sweet sweet trailers that are getting me so excited for all the fantastic movie and television that's headed our way 
The Star Trek Discovery trailer looks cool. I'm starting to get a little more excited about Star Trek Discovery than I was before because those trailers just look pretty sweet. Black Panther, Stranger Things 2, Avengers Infinity War, that trailer looks sick. And the Thor Ragnarok trailer looks pretty cool. Um, Between Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, and Thor Ragnarok, I'm pretty excited for all those. Seeing all the Marvel characters come together, getting to see Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor and Iron Man and Captain America and all and Spider-Man in the same movie. How can you not be excited about that? Um, Another movie that I'm sort of having, I'm I'm not sure how to feel about, but there was a trailer for it at Comic-Con was this new Will Smith movie, Bright, on Netflix. And and look, most of the podcasts that are going to be top, talking about Comic-Con are going to go on at length about Black Panther and Infinity War and the new Thor movie. And so I'm going to skip all that because you're going to get that in other places. I don't want to talk about this movie, Bright, on Netflix because it looks interesting. It looks interesting. Will Smith plays a cop, but it's in a alternate world where there are orcs and fairies and all these different like sci-fi fantasy creatures that just live in this normal world. And, and I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I like these kind of fantastical, but still real grounded projects. And I love the idea of a big star taking a chance on a new platform. He didn't put this out with a major studio. He's doing this on Netflix as a podcast that celebrates the indie artist and celebrates new forms of media, new forms of getting material out there away from just the big content companies like networks and movie studios and all that stuff. I'm intrigued by this play by Will Smith to do a Netflix movie that looks pretty different than the stuff he's done before. I like people who take artistic chances, but I feel like I'm in the minority on this because so many people are hating on Will Smith right now. I look at the comments for this movie, Bright, and they're crushing him. They're crushing Will Smith. Oh, uh, he's doing straight to DVD now. He's not a real star anymore. This is what he deserves after Suicide Squad and all this crap. And and look, man, you you people just hating on Will Smith. And I don't know why. I, I pride myself. I fancy myself a bit of a Will Smith apologist. I know a lot of people are hating on him right now, but I'm not one of them. I love the guy. I love everything he does. I think he is not only one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood, and one of the, he's one of the most consistently good stars in Hollywood, and he's one of the most versatile stars in Hollywood. Even in bad Will Smith movies, he's not bad in them. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He can do, you know, he can, he can kind of switch and have a sense of humor in a comedic, in a dramatic film. He can be dramatic in a movie with comedic elements. Uh, he's good on television. He's good in movies, you know, makes music. You know, I'm not as big of a fan of his music. <laughs> it's kind of a milk toast hip hop, but I love him as an actor. I've always loved him. And, and I love him in the movies where he, he'll get made fun of. And I don't see why, you know, when concussion came out, Everybody was telling me that it was, you know, that he's so, he's so bad in that movie. Oh, that accent's ridiculous. Oh, you're not going to like that movie. And I'm glad I didn't listen to those people. And I watched Concussion and it was magnificent and he was great. And I loved every minute of Concussion. And I remember another movie where people were hating on him. It's kind of an older movie, Seven Pounds, a great dramatic, very dramatic movie uh, starring him and Rosario Dawson and the critics crushed it. I took the liberty of looking at the tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes for seven pounds. It was like a 29. And I don't know why. Because go watch seven pounds. If you have not seen this movie, that is your homework assignment. Check out seven pounds. That movie is good. It is different from if you're not if you're that kind of person who doesn't like the typical Will Smith movie, you might like seven pounds because it's not the typical Will Smith movie. He challenges himself, he stretches himself out on this role. And it's a cool movie. It's a uh, has kind of like an indie quality to it. Uh, he turns in a great performance. The movie keeps you guessing till the end. It's just great. And he's just great. And I don't know why people are hating on Will Smith all the time. The dude has been consistently good for the better part of 25 years now and has made so much great stuff. And again, even when the movie he's in is not great, he so very often is great. So you know what? 
I'm going to be the one person who's fully supportive of Will Smith doing Bright on Netflix, and I hope the movie is fantastic, and I wish only the best for him. And and look, as, as consumers of entertainment, we should all be supportive of artists being able to achieve success on new platforms like, like Netflix. Because it lets them be more creative. You can take more chances on a platform like like Netflix. And if you want to see your favorite performers be able to take chances and be in situations where they're more likely to actually own and control the content they're putting out, which is more often the case on Netflix, then you should want this to be a home run. So let's all let's all support uh, Will Smith. All right. We're all going to support Avengers Infinity War. And we're all going to support Thor. And we're all going to support Black Panther and Star Trek and Stranger Things. But let's let's give some love to Will Smith, too. All right. He's been there for us. We got to be there for him. All right. Um, one more story. And God, I feel terrible ending this pop culture segment on this note because we try to keep the pop culture segment fun and lighthearted and interesting. But I can't not talk about this story because this story is everywhere. Folks, we got to talk about R. Kelly. Yes, we do. Uh, Jim DeRogatis wrote an article in BuzzFeed, which chronicles allegations of R. Kelly's alleged sex cult in which he has been luring a number of young women away from their families to live in houses he owns. And according to the article, and the allegations are harrowing, R. Kelly is controlling every aspect of these girls' lives. He's telling them, the music star is telling them what to eat. He's telling them when to sleep. He's telling them how they dress, who they can talk to, and perhaps most horrifying is controlling when they can engage in sexual acts with him, and he records them, and it's, you read the article, it's it's troubling stuff. And now the response on the other end um, is that, you know, what, what, what the, the comeback to these allegations are is, hey, these girls are all over 18, it's consensual, but look, I mean, what does consensual mean? Abuse is abuse. This looks like brainwashing if, if these allegations are true. And the fact that they're over 18 doesn't make the brainwashing any less abusive. And moreover, this story also reminds us that R. Kelly has allegedly done some pretty bad things with underage girls. He settled a number of lawsuits involving him engaging in sex acts with multiple underage women, including at least one that he's impregnated. I think this is going to be R. Kelly's bill cosby moment you know jim de rogatis is going to be the is basically going to be r kelly's hannibal burris the person who effectively ends his career i think his career is going to be over soon if we raked bill cosby over the coals for the terrible things he's allegedly done the same should happen to r kelly his label should drop him live nation's got a tour going on with him right now they should shut that down his career should be over if these allegations are in any way true. And I'll tell you this on somewhat of a personal note. As I was reading this story, one detail in particular kind of resonated with me personally in my own professional experience, and it's the fact that a lot of these women were led into this sex cult because they were aspiring singers or musicians, and R. Kelly brought them in by promising them that he could further their music career. Stick with me. I'll be your mentor. I will help make you famous. I'll help make you a star. I'll help develop you. And that hit home for me because that story isn't a whole too familiar one in the music business. It is a story that I have seen many times firsthand. A pivotal figure, either a producer or a superstar performer in the business, who uses his relative power and influence to take on some young ingenue, some uh, aspiring performer who just wants to be a star so bad and says to this person, come with me, I'll make you a star. And then they get exploited. You know, the it rising to the level of the R. Kelly sex cult might be unique among the industry, but this imbalance of power between big-time male performers and producers and the young women that they take under their wing and exploit them, that is an all-too-common story. And... It's deeply troubling to me, and it is my hope that this R. Kelly story, and if it outrages you, I hope that your outrage isn't just limited to R. Kelly. It would be, it would be troubling if the only thing that happened out of this was that 
R. Kelly was punished in the court of public opinion. We should reserve some of our outrage for the imbalance of power that happens throughout the music industry between established men and young and experienced female performers that allows this kind of stuff to happen. I hope that we can reserve some of our criticism for that and adopt reforms that can prevent this kind of stuff from happening because that that is the part of this that isn't just limited to R. Kelly. It happens everywhere. And in a way, it is emblematic of the message we try to project on this Break the Business podcast about the importance of taking control of your own career. We want all the people who listen to this show to achieve success, but achieve success on your own terms, where you're your own boss, where you're not accountable to anyone, where nobody owns you. Because when somebody owns you, whether it's a record label or a producer or some Svengali-type manager, it can stunt your overall success, you can lose all your money, but worse than that, you can be exploited, you can be abused. There are a lot of dangers out there. And so the lesson we impart, and God, this is going to become a dark end of this pop culture segment. I know the pop culture segment is supposed to be lighthearted, but I'm sorry, this is so damn important, is in your music career, if somebody approaches you and offers you what looks to be a shortcut to the top of the mountain, be very suspicious because there are a lot more promises than there are kept promises. And the folks who think they can offer you a shortcut up the mountain will most likely not only undeliver or underdeliver on their guarantee, but they can hurt you. There's a lot of bad people in this business. And so that's why it's so important to achieve success on your own terms. Be careful of anything that looks like a free lunch. Be careful of anything that looks like it makes things too easy. And particularly be careful if that person who wants to work with you either wants to meet alone with you or, God forbid, puts a contract in front of you and says, I just need you to sign this and I'll make you a star. Be very wary. Find a lawyer and just stay safe out there, people. All right. God, what a dark ending to this. I'm so, so sorry, everybody. But we talked about Comic-Con. That was fun, too. And uh, we had Verity White come by. So our thanks to Verity White. Our thanks to Bobby Osinski and my thanks to you as always for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week.